So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, we'll be looking at the first nine verses of this chapter. As this is going to be the first of four what are called servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Before we go to it, let's go to the Lord and ask that he would help us with his word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we come again to your word today and we pray that you would help us with it because we are a people who really struggle with the simplest of concepts and ideas. And even though we know that we are your creation, we somehow want to put ourselves in charge. We somehow want our own words to have authority and help us. Because we want to know more about you. We want to learn from you. We want to be changed by you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning. Open up our hearts and our minds that we would be transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I read through this chapter, especially these first nine verses, you're going to see this theme of justice come out a lot. And it made me think of a movie or set of movies that probably everyone in here has seen by now, and that's the Avengers movies. I'm not going to give any, really any spoilers if you haven't seen them. Uh, but there's a character in these movies called Thanos, and you guys are all familiar with Thanos probably. And he's this big, bad, evil guy, and he's from this other planet. He's actually from a moon, but that's he's from another place. And in his own right, he's this formidable foe, right? Just by himself, he's really strong and powerful. However, he has this particular goal for domination of the universe. And it's not just domination, but it's for balance. And he sees himself as good and right and able to discern what that balance is. Just half of the universe needs to die. So where does he derive his sense of justice? Well, from his own self-serving vantage point of course he actually sees himself as a kind of savior of the universe if the people would just buy into his ideas the whole universe would be a better place to live in of course they don't buy into his ideas or it wouldn't even be a story but when you watch those movies trust me i haven't spoiled anything i just kind of told you one of the central plots i didn't tell you how it solves that anything you never come away you never come away when you watch this you never come away and think you know what that thanos makes a whole lot of sense Or at least I hope you don't come away with that understanding. Because Thanos has this ultimate sense of good and evil, but it rests upon himself. And if you read the comics and you read more about Thanos, you really see that his sense of good and evil are weird in that sometimes he even fights with the Avengers because of his own needs. His purposes are always self-serving. Good and evil aren't really important to him. Only Thanos matters. Everyone else, everything else, everything is just here for him and his own pleasures. In our text today, we're going to deal with this idea of justice and balance. And as we've seen this many times in the book of Isaiah, dealing with this same idea, but now we're going to be seeing this through this character known as the servant of the Lord. 
This is the first of four servant hymns that we're going to see in Isaiah. And all of them point to the same figure, who is a historical figure. They all point forward to the one who would bring justice to the universe, but from a vantage point of true good versus evil, understanding what good is, understanding what evil is, in fact, making the rules himself. The one who this looks forward to is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that this passage is prophesying about Jesus because of the testimony of the New Testament, which we will look at. And so as we look at this, we're looking at the hope that we have as a believer that Isaiah had and that he prophesied about and that he wanted for the people way back then. And this is a hope that people longed for ever since the garden when it was just two people, that justice would be done, that the serpent would be crushed and that sin and death would be no more. So as we look at this passage, we'll divide it into three sections, all of them looking at this concept of the servant, the servant of healing, the servant of the promise, and then finally the servant of justice. So with that, look with me together at the text, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 42, starting at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the God, thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So, in order to set up this idea that Isaiah is talking about Jesus, we need to go to the New Testament. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 42. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to kind of summarize the first bit of what's going on here in this chapter and then get to the part that Matthew is referring to what we just read. And so in Matthew chapter 12, you have this this idea. Jesus talks about being the Lord of the Sabbath, and then he finds a man in the temple, and this man has a withered hand. And then he decides to heal this man's hand, making it brand new. And so because of this, the Pharisees wanted to destroy him naturally. Because he did a good thing 
They weren't concerned about the good thing. They were concerned that he did it on the Sabbath. And so they wanted to destroy him. Jesus, not wanting to make a scene, withdrew from the synagogue. And so Matthew, who is writing to a largely Jewish audience, trying to make connections to for them of the New Testament back to the Old, is going to make this connection for us concerning Jesus there in Isaiah 42. Look with me starting at verse 15 of Matthew 12. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make it known. This was to fulfill what is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant, whom I, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom I, my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the the Gentiles will hope. And so this is Matthew writing concerning Jesus from the prophet Isaiah who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So here is where we make the connection not only, and this is just one of the places that we can make this connection, but we make this connection of not only the the servant that we see in Isaiah 42, but the servant that we're going to see again in 50 and 52 and 53 in the book of Isaiah. So from this passage, we see that Isaiah is talking about Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. Isaiah looked forward to the day of Jesus. Matthew writes about it for us now as we look back to that day. And notice, he says this is the reason that Jesus wanted to kind of remain under the radar, which is interesting. Because the justice that he was bringing, that Jesus wanted to bring, wasn't a show of power or a show of force. He wasn't coming to take over the city or destroy the bad guys. Rather, Jesus came and the justice that he was offering was healing and hope, restoration, reconciliation, redemption. Now, to be sure, we understand that with Jesus, you get both. You're going to get the healing and redemption, but he's also bringing the other kind of justice. He's going to bring both. We're going to get to that shortly. But when Jesus walked the earth, his ministry was about reconciliation. Just as it is for us today, as we preach the gospel, we preach the ministry of reconciliation. There will come a time when all of that is finished. When Jesus comes back, he's going to separate those who are his from those who are not his. There will be a final distinction. And we make that distinction in what we preach. So we preach the full gospel here. The need for reconciliation because of the fact that we are sinners separated from him. And the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ, the one who brings that reconciliation that we see preached so firmly in Isaiah 42. That brings me to the first point, the servant of healing. Look with me back in Isaiah 42 at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And so here God is announcing his servant, the one who is going to act on the Father's behalf. Notice This servant has been given power and authority to do so. He has been given the very spirit of God, we are told, is going to be upon him. With this kind of 
authority, authority, he has the right to execute the justice of the Father. He's doing and speaking on his behalf. And so when we read this, we may think, okay, I have an idea of what this is going to be. It's going to be a kind of Thanos character, right? That's this kind of might makes right kind of a character. That if he's strong enough to do it, then that makes it right for him to do so. Well, the Father delights in him. He's going to execute justice on the nations, so we expect for him to just obliterate the nations. That isn't what we see Jesus doing at all. Look at verses 2 through 4. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick. Just, just picture this, this candle that's kind of just barely hanging on. You've all seen this, right? A faintly burning wick he will not quench. But he will faithfully bring forth justice nonetheless. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. He's not making a loud spectacle of himself in the streets. Yet people would still flock to him. Absolutely. Not only that, Jesus was always gentle in his ways, as we read here, as we saw in the New Testament. But we also read his interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees that we wouldn't necessarily classify as gentle. He was pretty rough with them. We see that Jesus wasn't a pushover at all. He could completely undo the elite of his day without much thought. But when he ministered to the families and to the individuals, when he cared for the children and the elderly alike, he was gentle among them. We just got through studying the book of Mark. We saw all sorts of hurt and sadness in that book, right? He ministered to a family who had just lost a child. He, he healed a lady who had been isolated for years because of a disease that had made her unclean. He healed a demon-possessed man who had been completely isolated and driven out by the town that he was a part of. He was gentle, yet he was firm. He was loving, yet he was unyielding at the same time. All with one goal in mind. Till he has established justice on the earth to bring justice, to make the wrong things right, to undo all the evil in the world and to make all things new. Now, consider this in the light of your own lives, of the lives of people that you love. Sometimes we might feel like we are that bruised reed. You get the picture of this of this plant that's just, if you just touched it, the leaves would kind of break or fall over. We might get the, the, the idea that we're that faintly burning wick that could just go out at any moment. This could be of either because of wrongs that have been done to us, we all feel that, or it's because of wrongs that we've committed, or a combination of both. So many times that's really what's going on. And that's the great thing about Jesus is that he is this promised servant that is coming to fulfill the promises of God, to set his people free from sin and death, and to do so in such a way that will bring them hope and healing and reconciliation. Even when we've made ourselves, even when the things that we've done to ourselves have made us that faintly burning wick, he offers us rest for our souls. That brings me to the next point, a service or a servant 
of the promise. Look with me at verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. So who is this that's saying all this? Who is this that's calling the spirit of the servant forth? It's the God of the heavens. He has the right to assert himself. He has the right to call such a servant. He is the one who has created all things. He's the one that gives every creature on earth breath. Nothing lives without him. Nothing can even exist without him. So he is at a place of absolute authority as he calls forth this servant. And he gives this servant a particular task. And so in verse 6, we see him talking to this servant that he calls forth. Verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking to the servant, in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I will give you as a covenant for the people. Now, the idea of the covenants shouldn't be new to anyone who's been here for a while. If you're just started coming, you maybe haven't talked so much about this idea of covenant theology. But really, we see all throughout Scripture this idea of the covenants working its way through the Scriptures. It's kind of like this thread that works its way through the tapestry of the whole of Scriptures and all of redemptive history. And without this thread, the whole thing falls apart. Without the covenants, the scripture is just kind of this book about a bunch of messed up people that doesn't really make sense. With the scriptures, it becomes this overarching, or with the covenant, the scriptures become this overarching narrative about a God who has a people for himself and has a plan to deliver them from the messes that they have made. Without the covenants, without this idea of the covenants, without this promise that we have in God, the scriptures just become this book about how we can try to be better people. Maybe if we just dared to be Daniel or just asked the question, what would Jesus do? Perhaps that would be better. And we know that we just aren't good at those things at all. But with the covenants, the Bible is a book about a savior. It's not even about us, which is great. It's about a savior who would go to a people and save them because they can't save themselves. Not even that, really. They don't even want to save themselves without him first going to them in the first place. So when we read this, that the father is giving Jesus as a covenant for the people. We read what all the prophets have been talking about since Moses. What all of those old covenants pointed for, pointed forward to the Savior who would come and not only follow through with God's end of the covenant, was God's end of the covenant that you will be, that I will be your God and you will be my people. That is his end of the covenant. He comes through to follow through with that, but not only that, he's going to follow through with man's part of the covenant. The one that we couldn't do even if we wanted to. To love God. To love others. Those things that we just can't do. 
Those Ten Commandments, right, that we can't even begin to follow. We, we just start, we trip all over ourselves with number one before we even get to the rest of them. We prove that we don't love God and others every time that we sin. We prove that we deserve the wrath of God every time that we sin. And so Jesus came to uphold our end of the covenant. He came to uphold God's end of the covenant, but also to uphold our end of the covenant. He would not only be with his people forever, just as he said he would, but he also became the sacrifice for his people so that they could have redemption. That's what this says. Right? He's going to be a light to the nations. He's going to open the eyes of the blind, set free the captives who live in darkness. Who are those? Who are the blind? Who are the captives? Us before Christ. You, if you're currently not in Christ. So when you think justice and making things right, it would make complete sense, this idea of justice, right? It would make complete sense that God, in exacting this judgment, in sending a servant who's going to execute judgment on the nations, that he would gather up all those who have done wrong against him, which is everyone who's ever drawn breath, and he would punish them all. Because that's what they deserve. The servant of God should just be able to, you know, snap his fingers and deal with all the evil in the world. And there'd be no one left. The problem, we can't do anything about that without him. We'd all be toast. But instead, what does he do? He calls us his people. Instead, he offers us comfort and pardon. Instead, we can have rest for our souls. Rather than coming to the earth on a white horse of judgment, he came and he was placed in a feeding trough, in a stable. Instead of sending legions of angels to obliterate the earth, he rode to town on a donkey and he was nailed to a man-made cross. Instead of judging, he was judged. And not for any sin that he committed. He wasn't judged for the things that he did wrong. He was judged because of the things that I've done wrong. Because of the things that you've done wrong. Think about that just for a second. Because it's not as if we can read in the Old Testament and find, you know, just one good person who would somehow deserve, or we could think about in our lives, or this one person that we know that's really good. No, no, there's none of those. It's not as if he came and he died for that one person who's just really good, or that one group of people who are really good, because there aren't any of those things. We don't deserve any of the things that Jesus brings to us. We don't deserve to be to be set free. We don't deserve to have this light that opens the eyes of the blind. We don't deserve any of these things. We deserve to be left blind and to left in this prison of darkness. Yet he offers us sight and freedom and light. We deserve death, but he offers us life. And this giver of life is the same one in Isaiah's day as it is today. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. So if you haven't called upon the name of Jesus, if you're still wondering, well, how is it that I can find hope and assurance? How is it that I can help find meaning or whatever it is in your life? It's not through any other thing because they're not going to give you hope. They're only going to give you more blindness and more and more darkness and more prison. And you know that. You already know that. 
So instead, call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. If you've already done that, if you've already called upon the name of Jesus Christ and, and you've been saved, great. But that doesn't mean that we can now hang it up and be done at this point. In fact, most Christians are so concerned about the mundane things of this world. You know, things like the approval of man. I could probably stop there and that would get all of us. Wealth, self-love. Rather than drink deep from the promises of God, we drink deep from the empty well of the world. Rather than see Jesus as our hope and rest every day, we kind of see him instead as our fire insurance. He's that one that keeps me from going to hell, but the rest of this world I kind of need to handle on my own. We're glad that he saved us from the wrath of God. Now we just need to handle all the evil in the world on our own. Thanks, Jesus, for saving me, but now I need to go wallow in the mud some more. Thanks, Jesus, for helping me out, but at this point I really am going to do this on my own because you know what? I, I know best. Rather than find rest in Jesus... We find rest in the shallow things of this world. And that makes no sense at all. But yet we do. Remember, this is written to a people who were in exile. Isaiah wrote this, but it really wouldn't get read and circulated until much later, until the people that were in exile would read this and hear it and see that God was offering them hope and pardon and comfort. When they looked around, they saw bad things. When they looked around, they didn't see any hope. Yet what Isaiah offers them here is hope. So Christian, you too, for for you today, you too call upon the name of Jesus and find rest and comfort, find pardon. Because are you a bruised reed? I already know the answer to that. Are you a faintly burning wick? Well, go to him then, and he'll care for you. As gentle and lovely as our Lord Jesus is, and as we read through the book of Mark, we saw that, the way that he loved and tenderly cared for people, and he tenderly cares for us today. We must not forget that when he came, what did he come to do? He came to make all things right. That means the hurts that you and I have, but it also means something else. He plans to complete that task. And that brings me to the last point. He is a servant of justice. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord. That is my name. He's talking, he's, now he's talking to the people. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And the new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God doesn't share glory with anyone at all. So when his servant comes to execute justice, he comes to set all of this right. What did Jesus do when he came? He offered pardon, and it was free to anyone who would take it. There weren't hoops to jump through other than believe in him, call upon his name, Believe that he is Lord, that he has been resurrected from the dead, and you will be saved. Is what we read in the Old and New Testament. Yet to those who won't take his free offer, he offers fairness. He offers justice. And he always gives exactly what we deserve. 
So hear this and understand. Jesus was so gentle that a faintly burning wick would not quench, yet he is so good that he cannot abide with the least bit of evil at all. And if you don't know him, rather than trusting in his righteousness, you are trusting in your own, which is no righteousness at all. It is nothing. Jesus said this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, and rather they will experience the full wrath of God. And it's not as if Jesus is standing by weeping that you're being punished. He's standing by an agreement with the Father. He is the executor of justice. He is the servant that was sent forth by the Father to bring comfort and pardon to those who would accept it and to bring judgment to those who would not. He came to bring justice, to set everything right. If you do not believe... You cannot find you cannot find comfort. You cannot find salvation without Him. And so, in conclusion, Christians, this is the same gospel that we have today that Isaiah preached to his people hundreds of years ago. It's for us first. We, it's for us as believers. For us, we should find comfort and rest in it. Jesus is the very promises of God personified, and in Him we have eternal life. But also in Him, what happens? The world finds justice, which is exactly what they deserve. So what should you and I be doing? Let us be ones who share this message. I look outside and he's not yet come back. And so there's still time for us to share this message so that the world might find salvation. Then when Jesus comes back, he's not coming to die again. He's not coming to be this meek and mild who wouldn't even extinguish a burning wick. He is coming on a white horse of judgment next time. And he's going to separate those who are not his from those who are his. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, what are we doing? Be faithful to this message. Share it with the lost. Offer them sight for their blind eyes. Freedom from their prison of darkness. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we look at the world around us, we see hope, we just see despair, we see hope in the wrong things. And so Lord, help us first and foremost to not hope in those wrong things with the world. Help us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so Lord, not only that we would want this for ourselves more and more, but that we would want this for a lost world who is blind, who is imprisoned in darkness, and who doesn't know any better. Help us to be faithful to the true gospel message. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.